Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by guest speaker, Pastor Oscar from Nairobi Chapel, Kenya, as we close out our series, My Story. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. Hope to see you there. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Dave, for welcoming me to this wonderful community. I've actually been here once before, sat in the back over there quietly, you know, just incognito, and I enjoyed the service thoroughly. And uh, I was just reflecting just yesterday, Dave, that it's about just a little less than three years ago since we met, first time ever. And in three years, you have touched my life in many different Indeed, even profound ways. Um, I have admired. Thank you. I have deeply admired Dave's leadership. And the two things that for me mark Dave, his character, is number one, his you know, very deep-seated humility. This, this guy is a hero. This guy is like, you know, um, he'll be sitting something like three or four places away from Jesus at the last, you know, the... the <laughs> At the high table. And uh, you wouldn't know that meeting him because he's just such a humble person. And I really love that about Dave. And then just his wisdom. Um, I'm passionate about church planting, but Dave has come and messed me up and made me rethink church planting. And helped me see it a different way. And now I'm trying to have residence like Dave has taught me to have residence. And I'm trying to move from addition to multiplication. And uh, he's, he's a great guy, and I really thank God for him. Give it up for Dave. I just really appreciate it. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to the word of the Lord. Our text today, this morning, um, is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. I'm aware that you've been looking at, you know, turning how God turns our story of, uh, I don't know, maybe failure our old story of regret, maybe shame, into a story, a new story of promise. And so I want to bring you a word from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. This is what the Bible says. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of a railroad guard. You know, one of these railroad crossing guards who was in his little cubicle at 2 a.m. in the morning. And he was manning a crossing at a bridge. And uh, the phone in the little booth rang. And he picked it up. And an urgent voice from the main station said to him, Stop the train! Stop the train! Stop the train! And even as he heard those words, he could hear the train coming down the tracks. And he put down the phone. He grabbed his lamp, he ran out to the railway line, and he began to wave the lamp, 
and wave it back and forth to try and catch the attention of the train driver. But the train whooshed past him and went onto the bridge. And the reason they were trying to stop the train is that the bridge was broken. It could not take the weight of the train. And halfway across that, you know, bridge, the bridge began to fall apart. And that night, many lives were lost. And so the railroad company took this man to court. Negligence of duty. Put him before a judge. And tried to place the blame on him. And they heard out his case and he kept pleading, I, I waved the lamp, I waved the lamp, I tried to stop the train. And finally they did not have enough evidence to charge him and so he was acquitted. But they say that as he walked out of the courtroom, there were tears streaming down his cheeks. And he was heard saying under his breath, I tried to stop the train. I waved the lamp, but the lamp was not lit. My dear friends, you are the light of the world. But is your lamp lit? Can the world see the radiance of Christ in you? You see, many people are like that lamp. They have a wick. There is even paraffin in the, in, the, in, the, in the lamp itself. But the lamp is not lit. Others have been lit. They once used to shine brightly. But for some reason, the lamp, the light has been snuffed out. And they no longer shine with brilliance. Is your lamp on? Can the world see the way of Christ in you? Can they see the hope of Christ because of your life? Or is, is the witness of Christ so dim that where once you were those who, of whom was spoken about who had an old story of failure but now had a new story of hope and promise. But your new story has turned back into a story of failure again and bondage again and going back to the old ways and the lamp is not lit. For the men and women on that train that night, their greatest concern was whether the dining car would have enough food for everyone on the train. Their greatest complain or need that night was are the beds soft enough that I can sleep even with the rocking motion of the train they had no clue that they were headed for destruction and it's true of the world around us you go into the malls and you bump shoulders with everybody else in the mall and the greatest concern of the people you meet there is whether they can pay their rent that month, whether they can keep their job, whether they have enough resources in the bank that they can meet their bills. They have no clue that they are headed for destruction. Is your lamp lit? So important. And so vital is this question that our enemy Satan will do whatever he can to snuff out your light. He will do whatever he can to take your new story of promise 
and turn it back into a story of failure and defeat. (laughs) And he will throw temptation your way and trials and hardship and tribulations and discouragement and indiscipline. Anything he can do to bring you down, he will do it. He will attack your marriage so that you can give up your faith. He will bring sickness and illness to loved ones to distract you from following Christ. He will do anything he can, throw anything he can at your feet to bring you down and to snuff that light. You accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior some time back. But career and the pursuit of a happy life has snuffed out that faith. You became too busy to look, to pursue after Christ, to read his word, to serve God, and the flame has died down. Maybe you made a wrong turn and found yourself struggling with addiction to alcohol, to sex, to drugs, to pornography, to shame, And you are overwhelmed by a sense of failure and defeat. And the little light was snuffed out. And let me say today that nothing quenches out that light faster than when we know that we have hidden sin in our life. And once the light has been quenched out, it doesn't matter how hard you wave the lamp. If it is not lit, the world cannot see the light of Christ inside of you. Doesn't matter how many people you speak to. If the lamp is not lit, all they see are the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy. And you live with this unending fear that somehow someone knows what's really going on. Someone knows that you have somewhere compromised and turned away from the grace of God. And you live with the fear that you will be discovered. And you're always looking over your shoulder. And when people look at you, you wonder, do they know? Do they know? But you don't know that they do know whether they do know. And so there is always that fear and expectation that somewhere, somehow, it's going to come out. It's going to be messy. And I don't know what to do about that. And the light is snuffed out. With the numbers we are here this morning, I know I'm speaking to somebody today who's hiding adultery. And you live with the fear of being discovered. That I'm speaking to someone here who maybe is not physically involved in an adulterous relationship, but your heart was given away to another and you are committing emotional adultery by giving your attachments and your love and affection and your thoughts and uh, your heart to somebody else who is not the one that you made a covenant vow to. And maybe there are those here today who are struggling with that terrible, terrible bondage that is is pornography. And in the wee hours of the night, you visit those sites and you, you delete all the cookies and you try and cover your tracks, but you don't know when it will come out. 
Maybe there's someone here who is dealing with unforgiveness and anger and bitterness towards somebody else. They hurt you, you want to hurt them back, and you're looking and waiting for that opportunity. Maybe it's psychological abuse or even violence in marriage here today. What are the sins that are here in our presence but are hidden, unseen? You know, we believe What I believe is the three lies of sin. That sin so often comes and whispers in our ear. And we listen to that alluring voice. And believing that voice, we we follow it into sin. And then discover that now the light has been snuffed out. You know, one of the first lies that sin whispers into our ear is, is this lie. It's a secret No one knows. No one will ever discover. It's okay. You can do it. Just keep it hidden. No one will ever know. There's a story told of a young man who had just finished his college studies, was, you know, looking for a job, uh, keen and eager to get this job, but couldn't find a job. He applied, you know, looked at all the papers to look for, you know, application opportunities. Couldn't find anything. And he was getting desperate. I need to pay rent. I need to put food on the table. I don't have a job. I have my degree. What do I do? And then lo and behold, one day he sees job available at the local zoo. And he thinks to himself, you know, I don't even know whether it's in my career line, but let me go. I just need a job. So he goes over to the local zoo and he's put in front of an interview committee. And the committee asks him a series of questions. They ask him, you know, how much do you weigh? And he's thinking, okay, they're taking the bio data. I don't know what my weight has to do with the job, but, you know, I weigh 70 kilos. And um, how, how, how thick are you at your girth? And, you know, how thick is your thigh? And what size shoe do you wear? And he's wondering, what sort of job is this? But he gives all the detail because he needs a job. And after they're finished interviewing, never asking a relevant question by, by his estimation, he finally asks them, you know, um, I've applied for the job, but can you tell me what the job is? And they all sort of sheepishly look down and no one wants to talk. And then finally one of them gathers up the courage and says, young man, The job we have is that we need a gorilla in the zoo. And we've been looking all over the place for one. We can't find one. And so we want someone who will put on a gorilla suit and pretend to be a gorilla. And nobody will be the wiser for it. And so he's thinking, how's that for a career? But because he's desperate, he takes a job and they tell him, look, it's not that difficult. Just do what monkeys do. You know, we'll put a lot of bananas in the cage. Just eat them from time to time and make, you know, monkey noises. Scratch yourself like a monkey. (laughs) You know, and nobody will ever know. And so he took the job. Monday comes along, he goes, puts on the suit, and you know, he starts, you know, doing those monkey antics and making the noise and eating bananas. and, And the kids love it. They don't know a real gorilla from a fake one. And there's a gorilla at the zoo now, and so the schools are bringing in the busloads, and everybody's happy, the kids are squealing, and he does this for a week, and you eat bananas for a week, and it gets pretty boring pretty quickly. 
And so after a few days, he thinks to himself, you know, there's got to be more to gorilla life than this. And he thinks, you know, hey, I used to do acrobatics when I was in, you know, elementary school. How about I try some of those tricks that were being taught there? So he begins swinging on the bars. You know, he takes a bar up here and he swings back and forth, back and forth. And then he lets go and grabs the next bar and swings back and forth. And the kids love it. They're squealing. The numbers are growing up. And, you know, this is great. But after three, four days of that, that gets boring. So he thinks, you know, let me try something a little different. So now he grabs a bar and he swings real hard back and forth. He lets go of the bar and he twirls in the air and he grabs the next bar and swings back and forth. Oh my, you know, the numbers in front of the cage. This gorilla is amazing. We have never seen a gorilla like this. And so he gets bolder. Let me twirl twice. And so, you know, he lets go. He twirls once. He twirls twice and he grabs the bar. But he gets even bolder than that. And he says, I'll go for three. I'll go for three. And so he swings, you know, back and forth real hard. And then he lets go. He twirls once. He twirls twice. On the third twirl, he had overestimated, gone too far, goes up over the edge of the cage into the next cage, which is a lion's cage. And you know, when he sort of gathers his wits and looks around, the lion is in the corner and he sees, it's, I'm in the lion's cage. Somebody help me, help me, help me. And he begins to scream and call out. And the lion hears all this noise and you know, gets up and turns around. And there's a gorilla in my cage. And so he begins to come menacingly towards him, slowly. And the closer he comes, the more he whimpers. And you know, he comes right up to him. He can feel its big head next to his ear and his, its hot breath. And it says to him, shut up or we both lose our jobs. <laughs> My dear friends, you can hide your sin, but it will find you out. And when Satan says that it's, it's, it's a secret, you'll never be found out it's a lie. You see, there are three, even when your secret is done at 2 a.m. in the morning, who see the sin. And the first of those is God himself. The Bible tells us, in the book of Psalm 139, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be too dark for you, O Lord. God can see in that darkness. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And God sees. There is nothing like a secret sin, because it is known to our Father in heaven. And when Satan whispers that you can keep it secret, that it will never come out, it's a lie. And here's the truth for many of us guys. God knows that we will not confess our sin, we will not deal with it unless we're exposed. And God loves us enough that if exposing our sin 
so that it's public and it's known is the only way he can bring us back to, to his seat of mercy and grace. Is the only way he can get us to confess our sin and ask for forgiveness. If that's what it takes, so be it. God will expose your sin because he loves you enough that he wants you to come back to him even if it means exposure. When I was in high school, I dreamt that I was the next Albert Einstein as yet undiscovered. It's all happening here, guys. So I thought, I was a young man, 15 years old, and I thought, you know, I'm doing chemistry in my high school, in the laboratory, and physics, and science, and, uh, you know, we're doing all these teeny-weeny little mindless experiments that don't even begin to tap into my genius, and I need to, you know, sort of go beyond my curriculum and, you know, prepare myself for my public unveiling to the world as I become the next Albert Einstein. And, you know, the, the school experiments and curriculum were just too, you know, narrowly focused for me. I wanted to do those experiments where you mix this blue liquid with this red substance and it goes boom, you know, those sorts of experiments. And so I began to put together a laboratory at home and by the dear kindness of the school, even though they did not know, I, I equipped my laboratory with a microscope and Petri dishes and Bunsen burners and, you know, all these chemicals that I needed for my experiments. One day, in the, in the chemistry lab, we're working with phosphorus. You remember phosphorus from high school? It's that substance that is kept in liquid, in oil. Because when it comes in contact with air, it, it, it reacts with the oxygen in the air and is known as a substance that, that, you know, reacts with spontaneous combustion. You don't need to put a flame to it. It comes in contact with oxygen and it just burns into a brilliant white flame. And as we were told about the properties of this substance, I thought to myself, this is what I need for my experiment. Here I come, guys. I'm about to unveil myself. And so when they passed around the beaker, you know, that had all these, you know, little goblets of uh, phosphorus in them, we were supposed to take one and cut a teeny weeny little bit, you know, like 0.01 grams or something, and work on an experiment on it. And I thought, I, I could never do what I need to do for this world with 0.01 grams. And so I, I looked around and nobody was looking. And so I put my tweezers in and pulled out the biggest goblet of phosphorus in the, in, the, you know, in the test tube. And I pulled it out. Nobody saw me. And I quickly took out my handkerchief and I put the phosphorus in my handkerchief and put it back in my pocket. Now I had what it takes to be a real scientist. And then I took the little piece I needed for my experiment and passed the rest on. As I was working on the experiment over here, I felt a warm sensation under the table. And I looked down, 
and my trousers were on fire and you know they were burning white hot and I didn't know what to do and I'm trying to put this thing out and it doesn't go out and so I reached for a beak of substance and I poured it on it to douse it out I forgot we were working with dilute sulfuric acid that I poured on my leg now I'm burning and I'm also itching from the sulfuric acid and there's a commotion at the back of the class and everybody's turning around and saying what's going on at the back of what, what's all that noise and I'm burning here and I'm trying to put this thing out and I don't know what to do and I can begin to smell flesh and you know and finally I took my trousers off and I dumped them in the, in the sink my dear friends I thought I had got away with this in secret but God exposed me God will, if that's what it will take to bring you to confession. But there is another who sees what's going on, and this is Satan. And he will expose you to bring shame to the name of God. But he will also expose you because he wants to bring shame to you. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He runs up to God and says, look at this guy. This is who you died on the cross for. Look at him. Look at what he's doing in the dark. Look at what he's trying to hide. He's hopeless. He's useless. Let go of him. And then Satan runs down to you and accuses you before you and says, you're hopeless. You'll never make it. Why did you even try? You're a hypocrite. Give up your faith. And then he accuses you before others. Look at him. He's living that life, drinking, you know, wine and preaching water. Don't even believe him. His faith is hypocritical. He's not really a believer and he will he will accuse God before you where was God when you sinned now what's the point you know you may as well give up he wasn't there for you he promised he'd look after you but where are you now he is the accuser of the brethren and he will expose you to overwhelm you with shame there is a shame that leads to godliness but Satan's shame leads to defeat and failure and giving up. And so even when he says that it's a secret, my dear friends, it's not a secret. The Bible tells us that there are angels who take charge over us. We can't see them, but they watch over us and they see. So there is nothing like a secret sin. It's a lie. Where are you, my brothers and sisters? Has your story of promise been turned back to a story of bondage? To a story of defeat? To a story of hopelessness? To a story of regret? Listen to what the Bible says about the nature of sin. In Proverbs chapter 3, chapter 5, verse 3 to verse 5, it says this. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Let, let me read it the way it's supposed to be read, okay? This is like, you know, red hot material here. You know, as close as the Bible gets to that. This is a voice you're supposed to read this 
Proverbs chapter 5 verse 3 For the lips of an adulteress Drip honey And her speech is smoother than oil But in the end she is as bitter as gall as sharp as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death and her steps lead straight to the grave. My dear friends, sin promises you pleasures untold, but it delivers death. It never delivers what it promised you. It promises you titillating experiences and joy like you've never had before, but it delivers regret and shame and brokenness and hurting children and profound bitterness and sorrow and loss. It never delivers what it promised. Has this become your story? Today we have the opportunity to come back to God and to allow our story of promise to indeed become the story of promise that we first ever believed in. And if you're here today and you know that the things that I have said are about me, this is me you're speaking about. I'm in bondage to pornography. I'm in bondage to an adulterous relationship. I'm in bondage to sexual images. And I love Christ and I want to walk with Christ, but I'm so filled with a sense of failure and shame. I don't know what to do. I want that story of promise that I believed in before I took a wrong turn. God tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just not only to forgive us our sins, but to strengthen us and to purify us from all unrighteousness to break the bondage, to free us again. But we have to come back to him and ask his forgiveness. The ball is in our court and it's a small step to say, Father, I hear you. I know this is me. Please forgive me. We tend to run away in our shame, but he says, come. I will forgive and I will strengthen you. And we can beat this thing together. And your story can continue to be a story of hope. We have the joy and the privilege today to partake of the Lord's table, the table of grace. It is he who invites us, come to my table. I invite you, sit with me and sap with me at my table of grace. And at this table is found forgiveness. If only you would confess your sin. We can't brush it under the carpet. We can't pretend it doesn't matter. It does. But you only need to be honest, to confess it, to ask for forgiveness. And my grace and my mercy and my power 
is available for you. You don't need to continue to live with shame and bondage. There is a way to find freedom. And so we're going to share in the elements of the Lord's table of grace. And I want to ask those who are serving us to come forward. If I could ask the band to come on stage as they lead us in song. And as we pass around these elements, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Could you take of that small piece of wafer or bread and the cup? And I want you to just come before the Lord at a personal level. And if you know that there's hidden sin in your life, could you ask his forgiveness? Don't keep running. Ask him to give you the strength to break whatever bondage you're struggling with. But that might not be you. And then this table becomes a table of joy and gratitude that you have escaped that life of bondage and that you're living that new life of promise and hope. And so as we pass around the bread and the wine, just take it and take a personal moment before the Lord to speak with him. I know that we often wait until everybody's been served. Today, I want to ask you to just go ahead, make this your moment before the grace of God. And if there's need for forgiveness, confess that sin and forgiveness will flow. And so if those who are serving us would now serve us and the worship team will lead us in song.